Hey, Brock, how are you? Pretty good, John. How are you? I'm good, but this was the first time in uh, an 11 week streak that I missed our uh, Wednesday upload. And so we could talk about that. And then we're also talking to Baron over at Effortless today. Of course, it's a little sad that we missed our upload, but I don't know if you noticed, but someone called us out on Twitter and asked about this week's episode. So I thought that was pretty cool that somebody noticed. Yes, that made that that won my heart for all of the disappointment that I was feeling. <laughs> so this was the first time in like 11 weeks I wasn't on an airplane, which is when I usually edit this uh, show. So I had a surprise New York trip pop up and it was just hectic for the whole week. But speaking of New York, so I had this idea a few weeks ago when the Kingsman trailer dropped. So there's a second Kingsman movie. I love the first one. And I keep thinking that I want to do like a meetup around the second one because I think it's in that same, I think the people who like our stuff might be in the same realm of people who like the Kingsman movie. So I keep thinking about doing a meetup. And I, the only place I could think of doing it would be obviously New York City. And so I didn't know if, I don't know, it's in September. And so I'd have time to plan it, but I don't know. I just... It'd be pretty cool to meet up around an event like that. I just it's been floating that around my head. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool to meet up around an event, uh, especially one that's kind of I don't know tangentially related to what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, we could all wear suits. We'd all be in like double-breasted with vests and ties. We would just I don't know. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and there's a lot of people in New York. I think would be. Uh, would be interested in joining. I mean, our, our guest today, Baron, uh, lives in New York, and I'm sure he'd be down for something like that. Mm. I'm there for work a lot, and so I might, maybe, I'll keep letting it churn. Maybe we can talk to Baron about it. I was just catching up on your uh, last video, which I actually I hadn't watched yet, your uh, batch uh, shirt, I guess kind of review, but or unboxing of your new batch shirt, the uh, the green one. Yeah, I'm wearing it right now again. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So I, I know you mentioned that it was the uh, sleeper hit of your war, of your recent wardrobe. Is that that's still the case? Still getting a lot of wear. Yeah. Just as like a weekend casual shirt or like casual at the office, it's very comfortable. Fits well. It's held up very well since I got that one. I think six months ago. And so uh, it, it was just like Jeff had said on our interview with him. You know, people men usually go towards like a plaid or a gingham. This is just a, a nice solid color fits well, looks good. Uh, I've I really liked it. Nice. And, and you're wearing it tucked and untucked? You most pretty much untucked. I don't really tuck it that much. Uh, okay. This one to me okay. is like nice and casual. I was reading your post on sponsored content and uh, I was I liked your Seinfeld picture, but I liked some of the comments too. People were like, really? You have to talk about this? I don't think they see all of the drive-bys that we get when people say, hey, this is this is sponsored or why are you doing this? Yeah, it, it was pretty encouraging reading those comments. I'm not sure if, if maybe, maybe the blog audience is different than the YouTube audience or something uh, because I think if I had... I don't know if I did that video form on YouTube, I, there ha, there would have been negative comments. I mean, there there would have had to be. So, I think the people who have been reading the blog and on the email list, maybe they they've been following for a while, and they're you know the probably probably the biggest the biggest fans, you know, the most loyal uh, readers. So, yeah, maybe there's some selection bias there, but but yeah, that was pretty cool to see. I mean, I, I think that. It's a little bit of a tricky subject anyway, um, but 
it, it is also kind of changing. I think I think people are getting savvy to it, and also there's just more and more of it, you know, sponsored content. So um, just kind of wanted to put the stake in the ground for where I stand about it since I do participate. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to, to hear what other people think about it. Yeah, because I remember you and I had talked about it right a few months ago when Tanner Guzzi had switched over and, you know, he went full time and he had did a video just saying, you know, this is what he has to do in the future and he's going to make it as, mm-hmm. as true to him, his own brand and himself as he can, but also obviously you need to support the channels too. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think everybody ideally would have some other way to support their channels and make a living, um, or at least not have to rely on sponsored content. But yeah, it just kind of, it's a pretty straightforward monetization method, you know, so, um, and I don't think, I guess like I said in the post, I don't think it has to be necessarily bad. I think it can be kind of a win-win, especially if you're getting like the cool thing about sponsored stuff is you usually get some sort of discount. And I know sometimes it's kind of a fake discount, like it's something they give to everybody, but a lot of the times it's totally exclusive and something you couldn't get if you hadn't, you know, worked with that company. So, um, or, you know, a giveaway or something like that. So I, I think it can be a win-win if done the right way. Yeah. Along those lines. So we had talked last week about the KK and J. Well, I couldn't, I don't know what the actual name is for them. My wife called them garters, but they're like shirt, the, the straps that you keep your shirt tucked in. Yeah. They're, they're either called shirt tail garters or shirt stays. Okay, sure. I'll go with shirt tail carters. Shirt stays makes me think of collar stays, but uh, I went and ordered some because I've gotten a few messages from people who watch the channel and they, they said I should try them out. And I accidentally ordered 12 of one color. And so, <laughs> but I didn't notice. So I got the box and I picked up the box and I was like, wow, these things are really heavy. And then I was doing my expense report for work and I saw on my credit card, I saw like $450 to KK and J. And I was like, okay. I screwed that one up, <laughs> but that was one where I used Alpha M as my discount code because he did the video, top of mind, mm-hmm. discount code, boom, there you go. Nice. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, you know, people definitely use that stuff. That's funny, though. They're, they're probably like, the KK and J guys are probably like, wow, that's, that's a huge order. <laughs> yeah. This guy really likes shirt, shirt tail carters. Yeah, I'm excited to try them because you did a video on them too, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're great. Like. I wouldn't wear them every day, but I don't. I don't suit up every day, but I'll wear them when I, I really have to look sharp. I went to a, to a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and I mean they work perfectly, you know, and and they're not uncomfortable or anything. Uh, takes a little getting used to putting them on, but once once you're wearing them for a couple hours, you, you kind of forget about them. So yeah, I, I think they're great. I mean I know military guys have been using them forever, um, so I, I think I think it's the, for me at least the kind of thing where. I'm glad I have a couple pairs, because, and I'll probably wear them a handful of times every year. But I'm I'm glad I have them for those occasions. Yeah, and it's it's a win-win too because to me, like of the things that I have to adjust all day in my clothes, it's my socks and my tucked-in shirt, and it's like boom, boom. You're you're holding your you're pulling your socks up and you're keeping your shirt down because I absolutely have the muffin top like readjustment thing all day. So I'm excited to try them, but I'm also curious because I do wear my pants pretty slim i'm wondering if they like show lines on the outside and so that'll probably be a part of my video that i talk about because i have pretty pretty slim pants yeah that that is a good point i i didn't notice lines on the outside at least with like wool trousers um the only part where you might see a bulge is at the top where it connects to your shirt 
uh, just depending on, I guess, the material of your pants. But, yeah, you're a perfect candidate for it because e even with over-the-calf socks, you probably have a hard time finding socks that are long enough, right, to actually stay up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to keep us updated. Yeah, I will do. Well, I never got that haircut I have today, this afternoon. So not only did I not do any videos this week, I didn't get my haircut. I, my face, I like broke out. So I wasn't really keen on doing any of my videos that might have a long shelf life. So this has been a slow week. Did you try rubbing Tiege Hanley all over your face and your problems? <laughs> no, but uh, I did. The box arrived for the mat for men's stuff. I didn't get to open it yet, but I'm going to try that out this weekend. Oh, nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So all-in-one, all-in-one tube. I know you've been testing that out as well. Yeah, I, I, that's my go-to when I'm, like, if I'm going to go outside, say I'm, like, a a hike in the middle of the day. So I'm gonna be outside for five hours. I'll use that instead of sunscreen. Uh, and it's just it's so much better than than any kind of sunscreen. Um, it's very lightweight and moisturizing, and it doesn't get all oily and gross. Is that the key? Is that like one of the main features? Then is the SPF of it, or like what? That's what you mostly use it for. What do you What do you think is like the main thing? It's it's moisturizing. It's like an aftershave lotion. Yeah, I, th I think probably the main thing is that it's just a very high-quality moisturizer. So it could definitely be just your daily moisturizer. Um, the S SPF 30, which a lot of moisturizers will have like 15 or something, which according to, to Lee, uh, the founder of Matt for Men, you know, anything below 30 uh, isn't enough if you're really going to be out in the sun. Uh, at least that's what he said. Um, and then the other thing that makes it unique is, and I have noticed this, is it has this mattifying effect. So especially if you have oily skin, um, if you use this, it kind of, yeah, it kind of mattifies your skin. Um, I haven't really done like an A-B test yet in front of the camera, but it, it does seem to kind of reduce shine a little bit. So it's, it's pretty unique as moisturizers go, um, and I think that's why it's pretty expensive. Well, well, I found out when I was telling my wife about Man for Men, she was like, oh, yeah, you should definitely get that. Your skin's super oily. I'm like, I had no idea, so I got burned. <laughs> All this time. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it really shows up in my videos because I do them in the morning right after I shower. So, like, I'll jump in the shower. I'm out at 5.15, and I'm shooting videos at, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and so it, nothing has really set in yet. So as long as I dry my face, it looks pretty good. But I guess throughout the day I start to seep oil, face oil. Yeah, you, I, I have noticed it in your videos, which is good because, I mean, if, if you have any sort of shine and you're in front of the lights, it usually amplifies it. So um, definitely doesn't come through in the videos, but I'm going to go ahead and default to your wife's judgment on this one. <laughs> yeah, she has to deal with me a lot more than people on YouTube. Well, cool. We can throw it over to Baron. Good catching up with you this week, and we will talk to him about starting the Effortless Gent. You guys spent time out in uh, in L.A. together, right? Yeah, I've, I've gotten to hang out with Baron a bunch of times. Uh, he's a uh, bi-coastal because he lived in San Francisco for a long time, and now he's in New York. So very, very interesting guy. I think we'll have a good conversation. Cool. Well, I'll see if I can sneak in my Kingsman talk. We'll throw it over him right now. Baron, welcome to the podcast. Baron runs the Effortless Gent. Uh, which is a style blog that's been around since 2009, actually. So it's pretty much an OG of the men's style blogging world at this point. Uh, Aaron, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So uh, 
what we'd like to do is get to know your background a little bit. So I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us just where you're from, what you were doing before you started Effortless Chant, and why you uh, chose to start it. Uh, yeah, sure. So at the time when I started Effortless Gent, I was uh, living in San Francisco. Uh, my background is in web design and development. So I was actually interning at this company called CNET, which is like a tech review site. Um, this is back in, I guess, 08. Uh, and, you know, I was working there for a while. I um, I was doing design work, development stuff, but I, I knew that I didn't really... I enjoyed it, but I knew I didn't really want to work for someone forever. And uh, I had this idea for a website. And um, actually how it came about was uh, in high school and college, like my guy friends would always ask me style questions. I think that they just knew me as the person to turn to if they had these types of questions, only because I was really interested in personal style myself. So I think they knew that. And, um, you know, they would ask me these questions, and I feel like, or at the time, I felt like that if they had these really basic questions that people around the world probably do as well. So like, why don't I start a website since that was my background, um, start a website, start writing about these things. Cause I enjoy talking about it anyway. And that's kind of where uh, it kicked off. Um, I just, you know, posted a few times a week and I just was feeling it out from there and, you know, growing my audience, et cetera. And here we are nine years later. Awesome. <laughs> so were you, uh, when you started it, were you thinking like this might be a way to, you know, run my own business and uh, get out of the nine to five since you've already had a, you'd already had a taste of that? Or was it more like, I'm going to do this just because, you know, my friends have been asking about it forever. And this seems like a, just a good hobby to do for now. Um, I started it with the intention that it will become a business at some point. I didn't know how exactly it was going to turn into that, but I knew that I had enough interest in it to talk about it long term. And I knew that there was um, a general need for it, considering that I would hear these same style questions over and over. So I figured there was something there, and I just wanted to explore it. I actually did it you know, part-time for a very long time. I would work on it uh, after work. I would stay up really late just writing and, and uh, you know, working on the website itself. And I did that for, man, I would say like two, two and a half years before I took it, before I quit and took it full-time. Um, so it was, it was definitely a slow process, but... Uh, uh, absolutely worth it, of course. Baron, did you start just reading GQ very young, or what, what led you to be the guy with all the answers when you were when you were younger? Yeah, I think I remember being like 11 or 12 and just being really sort of interested in what was my personal style. I didn't know what it was called at the time. I was just interested in fashion and and I was interested in like clothing and what my clothing said about me. And I'm realizing this now as I think back, but I just really like trying new things. And my other friends probably didn't care. And I mean, you know, they were into whatever sports or whatever, whatever they were doing at the time when we were 11 or 12. But um, I would always just have like a really active, uh, I, I was always really actively thinking about what my clothing said about me and what I wanted to wear. And it was always really interesting to me. And um, I don't know, it just sort of developed from there. My style obviously evolved since then. I'm not as trendy as I was back then. But I think when you're younger, you are really experimental and you're trying things out. So I think it was just more obvious that I cared about my style back then. And uh, when we got older and we had to go to places like prom or we had to dress up, um, I know, guys just had questions and I, I guess I knew the answers. So they would turn to me and I would answer them for them. Yeah, that, that was like kind of before uh, it was, you know, cool or, or even okay to care about your style I feel like because it's it's become a little more acceptable these days you know with all the YouTube channels and blogs and I feel like guys are 
you know, just more into their appearance in general, but um, but you were kind of ahead of the curve, at least for our generation. Yeah, and I don't think anyone really talked about it. Like, I, I myself wouldn't necessarily talk about uh, clothing or style to guys who weren't asking me. Uh, I just let it, let them be. I never really judged people on how they dressed. But if they were interested in, in let's say, like a new style or they wanted to know something about a brand and I knew about, then I would talk to them about it. Um, and I'm the same way today. I don't really... <laughs> Every time I meet people and they ask me what I do, I tell them I I run this website and it's about style. They all, it's always like one of two things. Like it's always like how, uh, oh you must usually usually the question they ask me is like oh so how do I look? Do you ever get that Brock? Like oh so how am I dressed? Do I look okay? I'm like yeah, yeah, you, look, yeah. you look fine. Like I'm not gonna like I don't care. Like I don't I'm not gonna go out there and like try to style everybody. But if you come to me and you say hey I have this thing I'm going to or I'd like to improve my style a little bit better. Um, what can I do for that? And then I would you know, obviously help them. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's not like you're always thinking about it and judging people. I, I find that too when I meet up with people who, who know what I do. They're like, oh, I had to wear my best shirt because, you know, modest man's here. I'm like, guys, I don't I don't care about this stuff. That Like, I'm not always thinking about it, you know. Right, exactly. So, when you started uh, EG, there, there wasn't a ton of, uh, I mean, besides the major players like GQ and, you know, Details and Esquire and stuff like that, there, there weren't really a lot of smaller blogs, though. I mean, did you, had, were you already reading anything like Art of Manliness or Primer or anything like that? Yeah, I think Primer started uh, maybe a year before I did. Um, Art of Manliness was around. Uh, I did read those sites. I guess posted a few times on Primer. I think he was a little bit bigger already at that point. Um, but there weren't, you know, you're right. There weren't very many, um, you know, style men's style focus sites, or maybe they were. I just couldn't really find them. Uh, there are definitely a lot more now. And then, obviously, with YouTube and Instagram and stuff, you can kind of take it to a whole different visual level. Back then, like, I don't know. I'm sure Aaron and uh, Antonio were doing videos back then, but I don't know if anybody else was. And um, it just wasn't as like I guess popular or a place to go to for style yet. Uh, and I, and I have a I'm very strong with my writing. I'm not that great on video. At least I don't think I am. But I, I know I'm a good writer, and so I always enjoyed writing, uh, and that was sort of my medium. But, you know, nowadays I feel like you have to kind of be on places like YouTube or Instagram and focus on something that's a little bit more visual. So especially for our niche because, you know, when we when we teach this stuff, it's easy to – it's hard to, to imagine um, what I'm talking about sometimes if I'm just writing about it. So you either need photo examples or, even better, do a video about it. Yeah, agreed. It is inherently visual and uh... – I feel like it, video or or photos are okay, but you do need some sort of media to go along with uh, with the writing. And I think also people's methods of consumption have changed and, and attention spans. You know, so if you just have a, a wall of text, I mean, some people are always going to want to read, but it's it's right. just different. Yeah. yeah how? Uh, so I noticed that you guys, or actually you, Brock, have um, been doing like a post, but also a video. Is that right? Do you kind of do accompanying posts for your videos? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to do at least a video every week. So, and I, I I already have been doing a post every week. So when it makes sense to have a video to go along with the post, I'll do kind of like a video version of the post. Okay. Uh, but then sometimes the video is on its own and doesn't because I don't know. I think I think sometimes you can kind of always have both. Like real man, real style. Always, you know, they always have a video and a post. Right. But uh, I think some content lends itself more to video and someone's itself more like an article, you know? Yeah, totally. How did you start? So you were doing it on the side for two and a half years, and were you still uh, working at CNET? 
Yeah, I was at the time. I was uh, working there full time, and then I would go home, hang out with my girlfriend. Now she's my wife uh, for a little bit, and then I would basically just start working in the in the evening, and then I would work late at night just building it. Okay, and then you started to get some traffic, and like, how did you? I guess how did you start to monetize, or was there a moment when you thought, okay, this could be this could be something? Um, how intentional was that process? Yeah, so uh, what I actually did was um, I had a small list at the time, and I just asked my subscribers. I was like, hey, if I could put anything together for you in a book form, like an ebook form, what would that be, and what do you need help with? And um, I just, you know, fielded all these answers, and I came up with a basic book outline. I think the first product I had was called um, uh, "Graduating Your Style" or something like that. Uh, and it was like a twenty-seven or a thirty-dollar ebook, um, and you know. I built it, or I, you know, I wrote it and I designed it all based off of feedback that I got from my readers. So it was a really easy sell because I was sort of um, walking them through the process as I created it. And so I would actually post on the website back then. I'm like, oh, here's an update on this book that you guys asked me for. And I would, uh, I would do that regularly. And then by the time it was ready to launch, uh, I just got like tons of sales just because it was, they were, all, they were waiting in anticipation for it. And plus they asked for it. So, it was, you know, it's, if you ever want to monetize something, I think that's the best way to go is just to ask your audience what they want from you. How long did it take you to work on the book? I mean, that was something that you were able to uh, put together based off feedback and then it take you a few months or what was that process like? Yeah, I think it was like, I would say like maybe six months of just, I also didn't know what I was doing. So I was like trying to figure it out. Like I knew how to, I was a designer. I knew how to put stuff together, but when you're creating something like it's, you know, you want to, there's like this fine line of like, what do I include? What do I not have to include? Or, you know, like you're creating something from scratch. So it took me a while, I would say four to six months, um, that whole process. And then uh, I think when I launched it, uh, I believe in, I can't remember exactly what the dates, uh, what the amounts were, but I'm pretty sure it was like within two months, uh, it had sold, I think $13,000 worth. It was two or three months. Um, and it had sold $13,000 worth. So for a $30 price point, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, and you've always had um, products, and I think it seems like over the years you've upgraded the types of digital products and courses and education. So that's that's still a pretty big part of what you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I the reason I like going this route is um, I feel like I have more control over my income and the revenue that we can produce as a business. Like, if you depend on things like affiliate income or ads, it's very much at the whim of the other guy, right? Like, if the ad company feels like cutting me off, then uh, I'm fucked, right? Or if, you know, if Amazon changes their percentages, then now I lost half my revenue, things like that. So I was always really nervous about depending on stuff like affiliate or ad revenue to be my, the main source of my business. But I mean, I definitely uh, participate in those two, but I, I try not to make it the main, uh, like the main revenue sources. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's, we were talking to um, Raphael about that. Like, you know, if, if your entire website is, you know, your, your big income stream is Amazon affiliates, then they change their percentage, you know, to 4% instead of 8% or whatever. I mean, yeah, you just lost half your income for that year. Right. Yeah. Right. It takes it takes one board meeting somewhere in some company for them to be like, yeah, we're changing this, and then all of a sudden your whole livelihood's gone if you're depending that on that fully. So that's always made me nervous. So I like to create my own things and sell my own things. Was that the first time that you really thought, all right, I'm ready to start to head out of this full-time job thing? 
Uh, yeah, so that selling that book was definitely the impetus for me to take off. Um, I, I had already wanted to leave for a while, but I think I was just sort of waiting to see how this would go. And that was like a good boost, um, you know, and encouragement for me to leave. I didn't leave and do this completely full time. Um, I Since I had a design and development background, I also had freelance clients on the side. So I would just basically work. I would take on more freelance clients instead of working at this job that I had. So I would quit. And then I take on more clients just to sort of subsidize my lifestyle, and then I could like work on building this business. And then eventually I phased out the the freelance design stuff because this picked up, and I was able to do this full time. Nice. How how long did you do the uh, freelance work for after you left the full time job? Like a couple of years or a couple of months? Uh, so I think so. In the beginning, it was like. I don't know, 75% freelance stuff, and I would just spend my uh, the rest of my time building the business. But I think over the the course of maybe two years, uh, I would slowly taper off the um, the freelance stuff, and then I would just uh, try to I would you know basically be selling more books or whatever I was doing at the time to uh, kind of replace the income. It was a slow process for sure, um, but mm -hmm. it, it was helpful for me to have a skill to that I could do something freelance uh, and you know, work on something else while I was building this thing. So there wasn't so much pressure on the website to, to do well. Do you think being in San Francisco helped you stay connected to either the freelance work or some of the style stuff? I mean, how much do you think your location was playing into it? Uh, definitely the tech and freelancing stuff for sure. I mean, it's like a hotbed of tech and design and stuff there. Um, so, and I had a lot of uh, friends from, you know, when I was working and they had clients that they couldn't work on. So they would pass them along to me. Uh, I also had friends who were other who were also freelancing that you know they would also pass jobs to me where we work on stuff together. So um, it it was definitely helpful to be there at the time. I mean I'm sure it doesn't matter really, but it it was helpful like having you know being in that location just because I got to meet a lot of people while I was working there. Uh, and then you know now I live in New York and um, I think it definitely is better to be here for the fashion stuff than it is to be in San Francisco because there's not really a fashion community or anything going on fashion wise really in San Francisco. It's very small. So being out here is, is definitely much better. You can go to events, you can just get inspiration on the street, et cetera. What do you think about New York versus San Francisco? Just as I mean, they're both two of the most expensive cities in the country. And as a uh, as an entrepreneur and someone who transitions out of out of a full time job into you know full time entrepreneurship, uh, how do you feel about living in those cities compared to, I don't know, somewhere else that is less expensive, I guess? Yeah, it's definitely tough. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's just generally more expensive uh, on the coasts and especially in these two cities. Um, I mean, it's fine. I've I, I I feel like the the benefit outweighs like the cost. Yeah, you have to hustle more and make more money, and um, mm -hmm. you pay more for things. But I know I really like. I've always lived. I've always loved living in cities, and I really enjoy New York even more so than San Francisco, just because it's just bigger and better, um, and there's just more to do and I don't know. I th like I said, I think benefits definitely outweigh the the costs. And yeah, you have to work hard, but I think it's worth it. And you, you and your wife had for a while a, an accessory company, right? Um, where you were selling pocket squares. Yeah, we had a is almost a fully fleshed out menswear line. Uh, we it was called Fifth and Brandon. Um, we started in San Francisco. We uh, we had accessories, but we also had things like shirting. We would run. Uh, we had limited run of uh, this really awesome pair of denim and we had a denim jacket. We had a, well, a bunch of cool stuff, but when we moved to New York, we all of our production is in San Francisco, so we wanted to wait until we could figure it all out here. Uh, but then, you know, things just picked up with the website. My wife has a real estate career now, so it's like, 
it's hard to like do multiple things. I don't want to half-ass anything. I want to kind of throw myself in whole ass to one thing, you know. Yeah. Like Ron's, Ron Swanson says, don't half-ass two things, whole ass one thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So do you think that's something you would get back into, like having, you know, selling physical products? I think so. Like I really like the creative process. Uh, working with physical products is so different though from doing like website stuff, even just creating a digital product. It's so much different because you have to, you have to deal with so many other people and um, production is crazy. And then, you know, you have to, sometimes you get stuff made overseas. You have to have it come back to you. It's just a whole different world. It's just not anything that I want to tackle right now, but I think definitely in the future, that's something, it just makes sense, right? It's like the next progression of your business when you're running a style website. It's like, what are you going to do? You can you can do ads, you can do affiliate stuff, sure. You can create your own pro your digital products, yeah. I think the next step is probably to create your own physical products so people can buy the stuff that you're selling because they already love you. They're they're gonna buy your stuff, you know. Yeah, that's man, that's something I think about all the time because it it definitely makes sense as a next step. But yeah, like you're saying, it's it is a different lifestyle to at least at first when you're getting it started. I I think having a you know a clothing line or something like that can be you can have just as much freedom running something like that as you can running basically a website, but it's for a while, it's going to be a different lifestyle. You have customers, you know, customer support and production. And mm -hmm. I mean, as, as you know, when you're in like apparel manufacturing, it's, everything goes wrong. Everything's late, you know, stuff takes forever. So right. it's, uh, it's something that I think you got to be ready, ready to jump into but, but yeah, I think, I think you're right that it, for a lot of people, it, it makes sense as a next step, kind of like the articles of style guys, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you know, the only reason I jumped into it was because I had Kate with me. She she has a background in that stuff, like in uh, fashion design, but also like the production of everything. So she knew exactly what to expect, and she knew how to talk to vendors and how to talk to fabric people and all this stuff. And if it were just me, I couldn't even imagine trying to do it myself because there's like a whole different language there that they speak, and I don't even know a lot about that. So it was it was helpful to have her along and. Um, I think it's I think it's worth it to definitely have a partner that kind of understands the the complexity of the of working with apparel manufacturers um, if you can. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So given that you know it's not 2009 anymore, it's a little more saturated in the in the blogosphere and the in YouTube. And what advice, if any, would you give aspiring web entrepreneurs or content creators? I mean, do you think it's still a good time to jump into it? Do you think it's too competitive? How would you go about building an audience from scratch right now? That's a good question. I uh, I think about that a lot because when I first started this, I built my audience basically on Twitter because Twitter was like the social media network at the time. Uh, that was the easiest way to get readers and to talk to people. Uh, nowadays, like I would never do that because what is Twitter right now, right? Uh, and so I think I think it just changes. Um, as far as like advice, I I don't think it's too crowded only because. Uh, I mean, like a majority of people drop off. They start something and they leave. Like when I first started this thing, I thought, oh man, there are a lot of people already doing this. I don't know if it's really worth it for me to do. But I mean, you know, I think what the difference is between me and some other guys who started at the same time as me who aren't around anymore is just sticking it out and um, evolving and basically like sticking, staying true to like what you wanted to do. Uh, like, so for me, it was always about, well, at first it was like about helping guys, but then that's very general and broad. So I, I thought about like what what would set me apart from uh, articles of style or real men real style or primer like what's my thing and I always I always lived 
in cities, and um, I've always had to share closet space with my wife. So we have like one closet right now, and it's not very big at all. It's tiny. So that kind of forced me to really uh, curate my wardrobe. Otherwise, I would just have clothes all over the place. And that led me to this idea of a lean wardrobe, and um, that's kind of like the central idea around my whole website right now is that how can a guy who doesn't who doesn't really have the time or want to put the effort into thinking too much about fashion or style, how can I just ha create like a really great wardrobe consisting of you know 15 to 30 things that I can wear all the time and look great and not crowd my closet with all this random shit that I don't wear. So that was like sort of my unique angle to this idea of men's style. And I think like all the guys who are still in it today who have been doing it for years have like a unique thing about their site. Just like you, like you, you talk to the guy, to the shorter man, and there isn't really a, a great website out there that does that except for yours. I think you have to have something like that in order to sort of stay around. Because if you're just talking about style in general, like GQ does that really well. You know, Esquire does that great. Like you can't compete with those guys. But if you niche down and you choose something that really specific that you want to talk about that you're excited about and that guys need information about, then I think you, there's a way for you to kind of get in here even though there are a lot of players on the field. Yeah, that makes sense. I totally agree. It actually, I remember you gave a presentation about finding your hook at a StyleCon, and it, it, I think a lot of people get hung up because they think, okay, if I niche down, that limits me. But I think what people don't realize is it's just it's what you have to do at the beginning, but it doesn't mean that you're always limited to that. Like I, I have a lot of content that's applicable to everybody, not just shorter guys, but it's always it's still always going to be the core of it, you know, the core of the uh, of the brand. So. I don't think it's limiting. I, I think it's like just something that helps you stand out from the crowd at the beginning, you know? Right. And I think you're being selective, but it's a good thing. Like if I tell you that I talk about this thing, I, I'm I'm immediately saying to the guys who don't agree with this, go away. Like this isn't the site for you. But yeah. the ones who do want this information, they love you because you're all about that one thing. And I think that's better. Like I want a core group of readers who are just really passionate about like exactly what I'm talking about. I don't care if I don't have like a million readers a month or five million readers a month. It doesn't really matter to me. I think what matters to me most is like if I can have a small group of people who really are interested in this one thing and they're really passionate about my site and they love all my advice. That's that's what I really care about. And I don't think if you're if you're doing like a general style advice website nowadays, it's like uh, there, it does, you don't really stand out because like I said, there's a GQ, there's an Esquire out there, there's a Valet magazine out there that's doing really great stuff. It's like you can't really, you can't compete with those big sites if you're starting out. You have to have something small to focus on. Yeah, nice. Awesome, man. Well, that's that's great advice. Um, and we'll put all this in the show notes, but where can people uh, find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, you can uh, go to effortlessgent.com, one word. And I also have a YouTube channel nowadays, guys. So uh, find me on Effortless. I think it's Effortless Gent TV. I think that's my username on YouTube. Nice. L yeah. Little known fact, uh, you actually have what the, the number one video for how to roll your shirt sleeves. It has like 2 million <laughs> views or something like that. Isn't that ridiculous? I think it has at this point. It's not that high. It's like 900-something thousand. But that's still ridiculous, right? Like, It's funny. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.